What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.
Welcome to the Green Street Hammers podcast, everybody. This is episode 78 with myself, Adam, and Henry, as per usual. Henry, how are you doing today? I'm good. Very good. Uh, just, you know, keep you on, feeling a bit, pos- bit more positive after the Charlton game. What about yourself, Adam? Uh, same. Cautiously feeling fine about West Ham at the moment, but that should all come tumbling apart come Saturday. Uh, we're also joined by Lou. Uh, again, as per usual, Lou's been a regular staple here. Lou, how you doing? I'm good, thank you. Um, I'm glad you're feeling fine because even though we won, I'm still, you know, down in the dumps, but we'll move on to that. Yeah, what happens if you win the Carabao Cup but get relegated? Is there like a double jeopardy thing we can do here where we avoid relegation? I don't know. We'll, we'll come to that. We'll come to that. Uh, we're also joined by Scott all the way down in Melbourne, Australia. Scott, how you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Uh, early morning here, so I haven't yet had to, had the pleasure of checking West Ham Twitter to see what the latest meltdown's about. So, uh, yeah, okay. Save, save your mental health for something else. Um, speaking of poor mental health, let's talk about, uh, maybe briefly so, the Newcastle match, uh, our first and opening Premier League match of the season, uh, which ended 2-0 to Newcastle with goals from Jeff Hedrick, a new signing, and uh, Callum Wilson, someone none of us really predicted would get off uh, on the right foot in his Newcastle career at all, I say through gritted teeth. Uh, but Lou, I want to come to you first here. Uh, I know that you, you kind of wanted to... You kind of wanted to jump off and, and touch on this point a little bit, but um, you know, what were your general impressions of the team West Ham put forward? Um, would you have selected that team, and, and why do you think it just didn't work? I mean, formation-wise, I would not have selected it. I, I think, regarding personnel-wise, I, I don't think I was. It was far off from the team I said last week on the podcast. But uh, it was, oh, Barhalla, uh, yeah, but obviously that's a big addition to the team when he's in and makes a difference to, you know, the way we play. Um, yeah, I think Antonio was very isolated up front. He didn't really have any support from our two wide men in Bowen, you know, on the right and Fernals on the left. And uh, our midfield was very... Uh, Static, and then there wasn't much rotation. Noble was supposed to be the number ten, but he just constantly dropped deep. So he found himself even further back than Rice. So again, even from that point of view, down the centre, there was no support for Antonio. You know, and all this was in the first half, where we actually, you know, weirdly enough, created quite a few decent chances without playing even vaguely well and we could have you know found ourselves a couple of goals up if the bar wasn't in the way um, but the second half we just completely there was absolutely nothing there whatsoever and uh, we deservedly lost in the end to a organised Newcastle side who were always a threat on the break and you know, as usual, like the preseason game the week before against Bournemouth, we didn't deal with it when they created chances. So, um, yeah, overall, it, it was a terrible way to start the season. And not to mention, you know, uh, Moyes' lack of urgency in terms of substitutions when, you know, again, it, 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 he had to wait for us to concede before he even you know, decided to warm a few players up. So, 
No, I think you I think you made a, a fair few good points there, and and <laughs> I think also we probably wouldn't have disagreed with the subs that Moyes made. Just the problem that, like you said, he was waiting for Newcastle to dictate those subs, and he waited too long. Instead of putting those attacking subs on and going for a win at home, like you had said, he waited to concede, and then it was playing catch up essentially. And now you're trying to salvage one point rather than go for three and preserve one. So it's a loser's race in, in that mentality there. Uh, Henry, I'll, I'll come to you next year. Um, when it comes to a team that gets reinforcements, uh, as we had seen firsthand for Newcastle, Callum Wilson started off one goal, one game. Uh, Hedrick, uh, free agent signing, comes in one one game, one goal. Uh, it, it's a pretty, It's a pretty damning statement when you see an, another team making solid moves again a free agent uh, two free agent signings in one striker who is a gamble because of his injury injury history in Callum Wilson but one who is a proven Premier League goal scorer come in and and hit the road uh, almost immediately well directly immediately um, but what does that do to the mentality of a team when when they get reinforcements in they see that there's better players coming in to sort of support them and also challenge them and do you think that you know, seeing your one of your best youngsters sold and not be replaced, or not using those funds to you know help the team get stronger in areas that they needed. Do you think that affects the mentality of a team like West Ham? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you think you're Newcastle and you're in that dressing room, you're seeing these players come in, especially Premier League players that have been in the league for a while, and you're thinking Callum Wilson. Oh gosh, he's scored against us before. Great to have him on side because we know his qualities, especially. Like with Wilson, how good he's been in the Premier League. The same with Jeff Hendrick. He's been a solid player in the Premier League for Burnley. So I think when you're a team like West Ham and that hasn't happened and pretty much the exact opposite has, where you've seen players like Grady D and Garner leave, it's going to be like, it's just going to be very, very like, effect, it will affect your morale quite a lot because you'll see all these other teams getting stronger and stronger that you're going to have to play against. And you're thinking, geez, well, we've just lost our most promising attacking young player and it's going to be even harder for us now we had we struggled last season um with the team we have and everyone else has got stronger so it's just gonna it is gonna build on the player's mentality of just thinking every game is going to be that bit harder rather than if they have a good result or a good win thinking oh, okay we are as good as we are this game the next game might not be as difficult or that might be slightly easier than we'd hoped Whereas actually, no, it's just every game is just going to be hard. And at the moment, for at least the next month or two, every game looks near enough impossible in the Premier League for us to get points from because every team looks so much stronger than us, especially after their summer business. Yeah, I mean, fair play there. The The outlook was, um, and we had even had a, one of our writers write about this being almost a must-win game for West Ham um, to start the season because the outlook is so grim. So, you know, the... The silver lining of we have tough fixtures, but we started on the right foot. We're playing the right way. Went out the window because we didn't start with our strongest team. We started with players out of position, which is we thought something would be addressed with either Grady Diangana, a naturally left-sided attacker coming in, or a replacement for him coming in and doing that. But like you had said, there's just issues all over the place right now, and uh, there's no sign of it getting better at the moment scott i know it was maybe a 5 a.m i think it was call time for you to watch this game uh over in melbourne so i want to get your thoughts uh, on how you thought west ham performed on the pitch and maybe why 
the team that worked for so many games in a row at the end of last season seemed to have no structure, familiarity, chemistry with each other when it came to playing one game against Newcastle at home. Yeah, uh, like uh, I do understand why Moyes was tempted to go with his team. Yeah, you say we we had a great spurt of form uh, post restart, but it's a very strange sentence to say. Um, but Steve Bruce won everything tactically. Uh, it completely outthought Moyes on uh, every point here. Um, he, uh, the four four two they set up with completely nullified any passing we had. It isolated Noble, meaning he had to come back out because uh, Noble's not a mobile number 10. If he's going to play in that position, he's kind of, you know, he's a stand and deliver kind of guy. You knock it into his feet, he's going to go two or three paces one way and then try and find someone else. He's not going to run past anyone. He's not going to be constantly on the move. Um, so that completely took out, out any, you know, any movement we had there. And Antonio is fast and powerful striker, and they sat deep to completely. Uh, they, they stopped him having any space to move into, so that wasn't useful in any way. Um, and then the two up top, uh, it meant they could go long straight away. Uh, it meant either uh, Carroll was going to win the ball in the air, or Wilson was going to uh, be able to run into the corners behind the the fullbacks, and they were going to be able to transfer up the pitch straight away. Um, the I mean, there's no shame in that. Just being, I think the formation we set out in was probably everyone's formation, but the personnel was probably wrong. Um, so when you've got that wrong, you have to make a change. And when he didn't make a change at half time, Moyes was really just you know, biding time until the first Newcastle goal because although we'd hit the bar uh, twice we were kind of creating chances through a breakdown in Newcastle play rather than our own good play uh, whereas Newcastle were fashioning chances pretty much every time they came forward because they could exploit our fullback weaknesses uh, as soon as Diop isn't next to Ogbonna uh, you really worry about him and they they knew that they were just they're very mobile and left us with uh, very little chance of getting into the game. Fair enough analysis there. It, it was it was a game dictated by Newcastle basically, and West Ham didn't just just didn't have any sort of game plan. And like you said, being out being out thought by by Steve Bruce isn't necessarily a compliment by any stretch of the imagination these days. So. Um, I think that's important as well that you brought that up, the managerial mismatch that shouldn't exist. Um, I want to come to all you guys here and just in a word, um, outside of outside of obvious players, because I, I'll say like, Fabi, I'm going to ask you, who do you think in this match showed they deserve to continue in the starting 11? Um, and this will lead into our, our discussion on Charlton because a couple of players looked exceptionally well despite it being against the League One side. Um, they looked really well, or really they looked really strong, played really well, and looked like they deserve a chance. But outside of let's say uh, Fabianski, who we know is going to start, Ogbonna, we know is going to start, uh, Suchek, we know is going to start, Rice, we know is going to start. Who? Do you guys think uh, deserves another look at the first team without uh, any sort of uh, 
criticism falling on them from the Newcastle game. Scott, we'll, we'll go reverse here. I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's I I just I feel really bad for Fornells. I think he basically I, we saw it in preseason. I think uh, the Green Street Hammers Twitter tweeted out like you know uh, Fornells has done really well in left wing back center defensive midfield number ten striking like he's being asked to play a utility role by like a kind of like a James Milner kind of role by Moyes and he's not that player he's he's never been that player we bought him uh like last season because of his performances for the young Spain side um and he's been uh, he's a number 10 he plays in that role and he needs to play there if we really want to see any kind of performance from him so I feel that he deserves chance in that number 10 role, uh, not in a left wing role because he's not a winger uh, and he's having to cover for um, Cresswell at the moment, which is would, would be a tough ask for most wingers anyway. But uh, yeah, for me, I think he, he deserves a chance uh, in his actual position. Fair enough. All right, Scott, who do you, uh, I mean, sorry, Henry, who do you think earned a, another shot here based off of that first game? I think Ryan Fredericks did, to be honest. I agree with Fornells. I think he puts a, a bloody good shift in. But Fredericks, to me, played very well. I thought he tracked back. He made some important tackles. He looked a lot better going forward than I've seen him for a while. He put a lot of dangerous crosses in. Um, there was the one for Suchek, which his header just went wide. There was the one for Fornells, who hit the bar via the deflection. Um, and I think Haller also... No, not Haller. He was on... Ogbon, I think it was. Uh, yeah, like uh, Mr. Chance. I, I feel Fredericks was probably our best player against um, Newcastle. I mean, it wasn't difficult, but I don't think he put a lot wrong. Um, I think maybe he could have got a bit closer for the cross or um, the square um, for the second goal. But obviously, we were caught out on the ball, so he was trying to look to get forward, and that's why he was out of position. Whereas... For the Cresswell, obviously, had a lot more of a role to be able to stop it than Fredericks did. But to me, Fredericks, I think he put in a very solid position. I wouldn't consider dropping him just yet. I know, obviously, it's cool for Ben Johnson, but if you're playing Fredericks, you can use Johnson as left back. And he's maybe, well, he's definitely a better option than Cresswell, whether he's a better option than Maseraku as a left back um, remains to be seen. Like he's played a couple games there, has done all right, but he's only played a couple games there. And to go up against Arsenal and a, up against Willian, Aubameyang, Lacazette is a very different thing to playing against the teams he has played against. I know he played against United, but they weren't at it that day going forward. Um, but yeah, Fredericks would be my choice. I think he played really well against Newcastle, and I don't think I think it would be harsh to drop him. I don't think he did anything to sort of justify it, really. Whereas a lot, there's a lot of other people that you can make the case to drop. Whereas I just think Fredericks isn't one of those players. That's fair. Yeah, he had a he had a league high five chances created. Uh, ties him with James Rodriguez from Everton for week one. So you can't say that he wasn't effective going forward. And also, um, he absolutely was crucial in uh, keeping the game level zero zero at the time uh, when Fornells decided to head the ball forward in, in spring. I, it may have been Almiron or I don't think it was Almiron actually. I don't even know who it was. Uh, Steve Maximin. Maximin stopped the tackle. 
Yeah, he got back. I mean, I tweeted out from the account, thank God we started a sprinter at right back today because everyone likes to call him that with his technical abilities. But um, I think we would all agree if he closed down attackers and wide men a little bit better, stayed tighter to him, that would be a huge improvement on his game defensively. But um, like you had said, he, he didn't do enough wrong in this match. Uh, and as well, you know, we may, like you said, need to use Ben Johnson somewhere else. Uh, Lou, uh, who's your player? Feel free to overlap if you want to jump on with somebody else. But uh, who's your player from that game that deserves another another look in the first team? Yeah, I don't think, you know, out of the rest of the players, um, Bar, who's already been mentioned, Finals and Fredericks, you know, for different reasons. Uh, I don't think anyone really... I was about to say shone in that game, but anyone played well at all. Um, and even the likes of Bowen, who's been a fixture in the team since, you know, his arrival, really. Um, I'm not saying he will be dropped for the Arsenal game, but I think, you know, Yarmolenko did okay against Charlton the other day, and he should be, you know, pushing him at least for a, for a starting spot. So I, I, th- I think I would have probably gone with Fredericks as well, to be honest. I think... That the whole team played well, um, you know, and he put in exactly the same performance. I think, you know, the plaudits he would get would be a lot better than, you know, he has been getting since that game. Just because, you know, everyone's frustrated about the whole team and the whole performance. So he's not really getting as much focus as perhaps he deserves. So, yeah, uh, I'd definitely keep him in the team and. Yeah, I think everyone else's place, you know, is deservedly up for grabs. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair assessment, especially the part where you said nobody really looked like they <laughs> shone in that game. Uh, harsh but true. Um, I, I will go, I guess, against what you said there. I would say Bowen. Um, like we had said, he's been a fixture in the, t- in the first team since coming here. And as you mentioned as well, he didn't do anything really exceptional in this game. Um, but I think if you play him alongside Pablo Fornals and have him operating in that that midfield role that Noble was, you're going to see a lot more creativity flow from that area, and it could spring him forward. I I do think, actually, and we'll get to suggested and predicted formations later for the Arsenal match, I think if West Ham started with five at the back in this game uh, and had basically played five, two, three, uh, you could use a front three of Antonio, Allaire, and Bowen with extra wide players uh, to to support that front three attack and then have two holding midfielders in Rice and Suchek that sort of move the ball better. I think you would see a lot more out of uh, out of Jared Bowen. The only problem is uh, we have one center back we trust, not necessarily three, let alone two. So I don't know about that, but I would go Jared Bowen. I think he's got the uh, he's got the ability to to make something happen. Although he did send a shot that almost landed on that red purpley slide outside of the London Stadium. Uh, in his in his match there, um, but we do want to end this segment, uh, albeit a long one so far, on positivity from the Charlton match. West Ham won three nil. Uh. For West Ham fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews, and the best West Ham videos and podcasts, download the free C O Y Irons app now from the App Store and Google Play. Um, I think one of us got to watch the match in its entirety, which was Henry. Uh, I listened to it on TalkSport. I listened to it on PJ Goose, 
I think was his name, uh, when he was on Twitch streaming that. Uh, gone far too young. Rest in peace. Uh, that's uh, That's got to be a lifetime ban on Twitch for that account. So uh, thank you for your service. It'll never be forgotten. And uh, we appreciate having some eyes on the match there for a little bit. But West Ham won 3-0. Uh, two goals from Sebastian Allaire, one goal from Felipe Anderson. Probably couldn't have drawn up a better list of names as well. There were uh, there was an assist for Robert Snodgrass. There was an assist for Andre Yarmolenko. And there was an assist for... Uh, who assisted the um, um, oh Manuel Lenzini? Lenzini. Uh, he he broke the guy's uh, ankles inside the box. The center back. Thank you, Lou. Um, I've, I've watched that highlight about five different times now of Lenzini cutting left, right. The guy falls over. He's still dribbling around him when he's on the ground, and then uh, Felipe Anderson passes it into the back of the net. It was a thing of beauty and something we've seen far too little love here. Um, but I guess we should start with the same question, and we'll. I mean, in in the uh, the sake of fairness we will reverse snake again so lou no chance uh, to rest up here uh from what you heard i know you didn't get to watch the match as well um who do you think earned a spot in the starting 11 and i do want us to be uh non doubling up here so i will go last again uh, but i i want to i want to know who you think uh from their performance in this game is a shoe in to start against arsenal i think i'll leave the obvious attacking positions out for now and I'll uh, start at my favourite position left back I think from obviously as you mentioned I didn't watch the whole game but uh, Masuaku looked lively he looked willing to get forward support the attack um, and just looked a threat and I think that's more than can be said for Cresswell over the last three seasons so um, <laughs> I'd be very happy if Masawaku got a look in at the weekend. I'm not convinced he actually will because of you know Moise's love for Cresswell for whatever reason. But um, yeah, I'd really like to see him uh, in the defence slash attack come come Saturday evening against Arsenal because uh, he just adds he just adds that extra little bit of spice. Um, you don't know what you're going to get with him, admittedly. But he can have a worldy game, he can have a terrible game, but at the moment with Cresswell, you're going to have a terrible game. So you may as well take that risk. And, um, you know, I think what Masuaku has not got in the last couple of seasons is a run of games to, you know, improve, improve upon himself. He, Look at last year against, I think it was Aston Villa, he got harshly sent off against uh, in the opening weeks, uh, that nil-nil. And up until that point, he was looking really good, uh, linking up with our new signings and Anderson, who was looking okay at that point as well. And Cresswell actually took his spot in the team and scored a couple of goals and just managed to keep it throughout the rest of the season without deserving to do so. So, uh I may have gone off on tangent a little bit, a little bit, you know, based on the. We're supposed to be talking about the Charlton game alone, but I would really like to see Masuaku in that starting lineup, and you know, I just pray that Moyes will see sent. Yeah, I mean the tangents forgiven. That's kind of what we do here, uh, but uh, I think you're not going to be alone in that sentiment because the 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 sentiment seems to actually be uh, Cresswell is slow. 
and it was always predictable that people would say, well, Mazuaku can't defend as good as Cresswell, but now Cresswell clearly cannot defend either. So you're having no offensive benefit of Mazuaku with Cresswell starting and also no defensive benefit because Cresswell cannot defend anymore himself. So I would rather have, as you basically said here, a player who can link up with someone on the same skill level as them with Felipe Anderson, who can create offensively and then is also quick enough to at least chase the ball down on his way back. So completely fair pick there. If Mazuaku doesn't start, I'm I swear Crespo has given him half of his performance or half of his appearance check that he gets if there's one in his contract because it makes no sense anymore at this point. Uh, Henry, who's who's your player from the game? Uh, your expert insight of actually watching it that took over there. I would have agreed with Lou. I think Mazuaku would have been the choice. I agree. Like defensively, he can have games where he's just as bad as Crespo's been, maybe even worse, but. If Cresswell's playing at the moment, at least play Masaraku so you get that benefit of his pace and dribbling going forward. And if he plays better with Anderson, that's an even bigger positive. Because Anderson, people forget, was one of our highest tackle makers since he's joined. He's made 130-odd tackles since he signed and does a lot of defensive work. So the whole argument that Anderson's lazy is rubbish and the fact that Masaraku is rubbish is rubbish because they actually played brilliantly together and was a huge contribution to our actual good start last season. Um, but I won't say Masuaku as he's already been taken. Um, I'd say Josh Cullen. Um, he was one of my sort of picks from the team. I thought he was brilliant and I thought he seemed very natural to sort of step into what Mark Noble's been trying to do at the team at the moment at that number 10 spot. He put a great ball over the top for the first goal, um, which I think sort of almost went a bit under the radar because Haller actually scored the final attempt. Everyone was like, oh, Haller scored, Haller scored. But the ball over the top was brilliant for Yarmolenko and the way he laid it back for Haller to score was great. thought he was very solid. His passing, he had over 90% passing accuracy and he did very well. He was very composed on the ball. He won the ball back plenty and basically just, as I spoke to Luis Mendez, who's a Charlton correspondent before the game, um, he said when Cullen was at Charlton, he just helped control the midfield. He broke up the opposition's play and was just dominant. And we saw that for us. Yes, it was against Charlton, a side that he probably knows very well in his league one op- opposition, but he can only do it against the side that he's up against. He's always done it quite similar to that in preseason games, maybe not to the same extent with like his passing ability, but if he's shown that he can do it, why not give him the go? against Arsenal, especially with Noble tiring his legs, where Noble already says, you can't count on me anymore. You can't rely on the 33-year-old legs that I have. Find someone better, and Cullen could be that player. I mean, it doesn't take a huge technical ability to replace what Noble has. It's the passion, and I think Cullen definitely has the technical ability to do what Noble does, and he loves the club and knows the club as well as Mark Noble does, so he could just be a perfect replacement for that. So give him a go. That would be my my shout would be Cullen. I thought he was brilliant. I think he deserves a go in that midfield three. Rather than having a 33-year-old central defensive midfielder at Cam play Cullen in his natural spot along the midfield three with uh, Rice and Sujek. That's fair. That's fair. And I think it's also a good a good player to pick because it's going to challenge David Moyes from not picking Manuel Lanzini and also Pablo Fornals possibly at all in the starting 11 um, but we'll, we'll... both because he can fill 
especially like if you're playing Arsenal, where we are going to be defending, Cullen can do a defensive job and Suchek can be the runner or Rice can 100%. be the runner. It can all do both roles rather than having a Lanzini or an actual Cam playing that role or not Noble being told you're Cam. We're going to have to be defensive against Arsenal. They were brilliant against Fulham. So have a relatively defensive three, but at least two of them in Cullen and Suchek can attack and defend. So to me, for, against, for playing against Arsenal, Cullen fits into that midfield perfectly. Yeah, I mean, play your, play your best positions, but also pre-plan for the opposition you're going to be playing. Understand the type of football you're going to be playing. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, all right, Scott, uh, who do you have? It can't be Cullen. It can't be Frederick. Uh, it can't be Mazuaku, sorry. Who do you have as the uh, potential Charlton upstart against, uh, against Arsenal? Uh, I'd go with Anderson. I think um, I think we are after the sale of Diangana uh, and what I said previously about four hours. We need a proper left winger uh, out there, and I know Anderson has. You know, he's not always a consistent performer. He can blow hot and cold, um, but he showed desire to get his goal. Um, against Charlton like he laid the ball uh, off to Lanzini uh, as he ran into the box and then made the run himself from halfway line to get on the end of the return ball uh, to finish the goal um, that doesn't seem to be someone who is lacking desire um, f- to play for West Ham so I'd give him a go and also against Arsenal uh, I'm guessing they're going to be pushing quite high against us uh, if we've got weapons like Bowen's pacey on the right uh, if we've got Anderson on the left that outlet potentially into space is going to be really key um, there's no point having players on the pitch that aren't going to offer something and as um, Tom, uh, as uh, Henry said with um, Anderson's tackling uh, he does he does put his foot in uh, he can disrupt the um, opposition to the attack but yes, I think for uh, Arsenal match, having that option to hit them fast and wide would be uh, a huge bonus to Moyes. Fair enough. I, I think that we're all picking the f- the three players so far that everyone sort of got circled here, um, and I'm gonna pick the fourth one. And I was gonna say Felipe Anderson because I thought Scott you were gonna say Sebastian Hilaire, but I'll take the Hilaire chant here. Um, it may not be the best idea to have not Antonio starting against a team like Arsenal where we're going to be counterattacking, but also if West Ham are going to win this game, I think they're going to have to do it on the back of winning some free kicks, some corners, and taking advantage of set pieces. And while Antonio is great in the air, Sebastian Allaire is taller, bigger, and could potentially be more potent. With great service from Snodgrass, he he banged in a, a beautiful headed goal. Uh, and as well, he made no mistake in front of a gaping wide net, which is not always the case for him uh, on his first goal. So I think Alaire has to start. It's 45 millions. We can't have a hundred million pound plus bench anymore. Um, David Moyes cannot continue to pick the players he likes over the players that we need to get going in order to start. And I think like Anderson, like Mazuaku, um, Josh Cullen, that's a bit of an unknown there, but but like those three players, they you know or two players rather Hilaire needs the confidence of the Charlton game to sort of springboard into a successful game against Arsenal and it's a London derby I know the the fans aren't there to make it that much more exciting um, but uh, you know the Emirates will sound probably just about as loud as it usually does anyways 
But uh, it'll be interesting to see if the players get up for it, which makes me nervous that Mark Noble will actually get into the team because it's a London Derby. So uh, we'll see exactly what happens with that. Um, before we wrap up here, I mean, I, I don't know if there's anything else you guys want to talk about from this match. Henry, you may have some, one or two things that you noticed, but um, uh, we can maybe springboard off of uh, that into our next match, which is against Hull, uh, the team that is now League One as well as Jared Bowen's departure apparently relegated them last season. They had a tremendous dip in form after he left. Um, it's crazy what happens when you sell one of your best attackers and don't replace them. Uh, so hopefully history doesn't repeat itself there. But uh, Hull's coming up. It's in. Uh, it's it's a home game for us as well on the 22nd of September. Um, are you confident going into that match as well? Where are you guys at there? Henry, I want to come to you first. Is there anything else you noticed from the Charlton game before, uh, uh, before the Hull one? Um, I thought we still need... I think the Charlton game, if it showed me anything, is that we do have a lot of quality going forward, but we still need help. We still need to make signings in the defence. Um, I think Charlton still created a lot. I feel they very easily could have got a goal if they had a bit of better luck with where the ball fell. Like We really struggled uh, containing John, Johnny Williams, who I think some Palace fans might remember from a few years ago, a player crippled by injuries but was a good player, but is now in League One, and he did cause us a lot of issues. Uh, issues when he got on the ball so it just showed that we do need to still sign defenders at the back because if they are the players that are going to be coming in to replace maybe an Ogbonna or a Rice or Suchek who might pick up an injury in the season they don't have the same quality protecting our goal um, to put it simply so it just sort of showed to me that we still lack what everyone knows which is uh very very reliable defense and we only have a few weeks left of the transfer window and that's sort of the time to go into it i still think um i think the game also showed how good we can be attacking wise i know it's only a league one side but you, it's the opposition you're up against and three goals is three goals i think it showed how if he gets the service he needs he will score goals i feel it still showed he still has a few issues with his finishing i don't know if it's match fitness or match sharpness if you will um, and I, I think he just needs game time. But as I did a tweet, uh, I think since the start of preseason, Haller has scored five goals. They might have only come in two games, but he scored five goals since the start of the preseason. Antonio has not scored, which I know a few people have given me a bit of grief about saying, How dare you drop our best player in my suggested lineup for the weekend against Arsenal by not having Antonio in it? But he has not scored since we played against Manchester United. That's a while in football. Uh, whereas Haller scored five goals, Anderson scored twice. You need to be playing the players that are scoring and are currently on form. Not. It might not seem that long ago the United game because it was only a month or two ago. But in football, that's a while. And if Antonio hasn't scored for two months, it does sound a lot worse than, oh, he hasn't scored because it's two games into the season. So Haller, to me, has to start. And it just shows that we can be attacking. We can have good players. When players are played in the right position is sort of my general point. But also to play the players that are playing well and scoring and producing. Doesn't seem like too much of an ask. But also, if you had flipped the script on the players and said, well, Hilaire had a great end of last season, but in the preseason, Antonio has been playing well and did well in the last match, people would be would be begging for Antonio to start. Exactly. So, yeah. 
people could be like, well, Antonio scored five goals in pre-season in this front and uh, Charlton game. They'd be like, why isn't he playing against Arsenal? Yeah. It's because uh, people have almost got a bad taste in their mouth around him because of the disappointment that was his debut campaign. I mean, he still scored seven goals, which for West Ham, seven goals for a striker is a lot better than... Yeah, the usual. statue's being made, so... <laughs> Like it, we're we're fortunate if we have a player hit double digits. So seven goals isn't actually too bad for us. It should have been a lot better with the investment, of course. But I think if he's given game time for the rest of the season, receives the right service, he will score enough goals to keep us up. That's completely fair. Also, breaking news as of recording this: West Ham or Hull will end up playing Fleetwood or Everton in the next round of the Carabao Cup. Uh, a lot of people are saying uh, maybe in 2021, 2022, we'll have another chance at a longer cup run now as uh, they're already writing us off against Everton, uh, facetiously enough, I suppose. But uh, yeah, it's it's Hull next. Uh, Lou, do you have any thoughts about Hull? Do you think maybe they're a team that can cause problems for West Ham? Last time they played, I think uh, West Ham were saved by their post uh, heading into Hull's relegation season there. Um I think it was one of the one of the matches that Dimitri Payet last played in, and he said he left because everyone in the West Ham change room was saying the post got the man of the match, and he was thinking, "What am I doing? Spending my the best years of my career playing for a team that's thanking the post against Hull at home uh, for not losing the match." So, do you, do you think Hull will cause any problems for West Ham? I mean, I think any team can cause problems against West Ham on the day. So, no, and um, I think. You know, obviously there's the Jared Bowen situation. Adds a little bit extra something to the game. The Cullen Cup will, to the Bowen Ball now. <laughs> uh, will Moyes, you know, give him a game based on that, or will he be, you know, more loyal to his team that beat Charlton? I don't know. Um, it's at home, isn't it? We should be getting through uh, in a comfortable fashion, the same way we. We got through against Charlton, even though I predicted a loss, obviously, because, you know, I just like negativity. Um, but, yeah, I'd, I'd like to keep this cup run going. And is would the Everton game be home or away, does it say? Uh, it would be away for West Ham. Okay, that makes it a little bit more difficult. We don't have the greatest record at Goodson. Um, hopefully Fleetwood uh, can pull <laughs> off a shock. What's our record um, there? <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm not going to go into that. All my family are Everton fans, so yeah, I, I never hear the end of it anyway. So um, yeah, I'd like a cup run. It would be typical of West Ham if we finally won a cup and no fans could attend. But uh, you know, I'd take it over going out against Hull. So fair enough, fair enough. Scott, do you have any thoughts about Hull in this one? I mean, our Premier League side taking on a League One side should always be in the favour of the, the Premier League side. But it's West Ham, so all conventional logic is thrown out the window. Um, I mean, cups are cups. I think anyone writing us off just because we've got a tough opposition doesn't understand how they, you know, it's a one-match shootout. That's how it works. Uh, you can get weird winners occasionally. I mean, Millwall were in the the final of the FA Cup fairly recently, I think it was. Uh, so you're like people can get through. Uh, so I'm, I always have hope for those kind of games. And to be honest, I hope we just go in attacking form. Like if we sit back and try and 
you know, control a game against the lower league opposition, they're going to want that. I think if, if we keep it open and use our better abilities, then, yeah, it's going to, one, be more entertaining to watch, and two, hopefully not let our nerves get the better of us. Completely fair. I, I, I agree, and I think the, the belief in fans and supporters that a, a Premier League team should beat a League One team shouldn't be translated and i think it has been to the players as we don't need to try in this game where premier league team will turn them over um it needs to be translated into pressure on them to perform and handily get this game taken care of um and i think that's the mental switch that hasn't been happening but we'll see a hole doesn't really scare me the only player i can name on their team is reese burke because he came from west ham and apparently is an all right defender so who knows i remember he scored a extra time winner in a cup game for west ham uh before departing on loan which you know if you're a youngster and you play well you know basically say goodbye to josh cullen now uh, but anyways i digress uh so uh what we're going to do is we're going to jump into some uh hammers polls questions up next all right welcome back here we're going to jump into some hammers polls questions get our take and uh the general west ham consensus on uh, the latest topics and trends from you, really, on Twitter. So, at Hammers Polls is the account. Uh, send over your questions to them. They'll post them and generally get a better spread than any individual would. Uh, Henry, the, the the Bucks getting past to you here. Feel free to fire away. All right, guys. So, the first one I found is a question that's been submitted. is Should Fabianski be dropped on Saturday based on his current form? Uh, one, yes. Two, no. Or three, drop Fabianski if he plays bad in the next three games. Adam, we'll go to you first, as you're always coming to us. Um, did this person watch West Ham when when Roberto was in goal? Because if we're dropping Fabianski on poor form here, I, I don't know when this person started watching. No, Fabianski's our starter. Uh, Darren Randolph is our cup keeper. And to be honest, probably shouldn't even be our backup keeper anymore as far as Trot and Anang are concerned. Um I don't know what the number correlation was, but no. Maybe number four would have been obviously no. Um, so I'll, I'll select no. And Lou, what about you? Yeah, I'll go with no as well. I think even if, I know last season after his injuries, Fabianski dropped a couple of howlers here and there. But um, I think he just needs to get to continue with that now and get a consistent run of games. And... Even if he does have a bad game, you know, you just got to, like Adam says, the, the goalkeeping travesties of last season are still fresh in our memories and we need Fab back to his best. And the only way he's going to get to that is, you know, by playing games. So we've got to support him. And, um, yeah, we're, we're, I'm sure we'll see him, you know, that hammer of the year, Fabianski, again sooner or later. Of course, it was only two years ago he was Hammer of the Year. And Scott, do you think Fabianski should be dropped if he's... Uh, I always think dropping a goalkeeper is very dangerous. Uh, so you have to have a really good reason to do so. Um, you, it's not much upside uh, with the goalkeeper. Like If you drop a striker, the worst that the next person can do is not score. Uh, you drop a goalkeeper... It could be an absolute horror uh, game next time, and you—it's then your fault rather than you know just the player. So, whilst Randolph is a trusty keeper, I don't think he's going to bring any. Like it, it's not like he suddenly brings in a new uh, dimension. 
of distribution or anything like this. So yeah, I would uh, definitely stick with Fabianski uh, unless he starts channeling his inner Roberto. Yeah, I think I've got to agree with everyone. I mean, uh, Randolph played against Charlton in the cup and he didn't look solid. He obviously kept a clean sheet, but there's a couple of times he could have caught the ball and he sort of dropped it accidentally rather than being able to hold on to it. Um, Fabianski, I don't think really, there was nothing you could do about the second goal against Newcastle. And the first goal, I think even Graham Sooners gave West Ham the benefit of the doubt by saying it probably should have been ruled out for a high foot. So really, Fabianski's done nothing wrong in my eyes for the to start the season. So I, and I also, yeah, he was Hammer of the Year two years ago. I think he's a very loved figure at West Ham. So unless all of a sudden Trot and Anang turn into Gianluigi Donnarumma, I don't see Fabianski losing his place anytime soon. So I think I'll go for no. We'll go for no, which is it's always nice when we all agree. It- Donnarumma over Buffon, eh? What kind of what world are we living in here where the go-to is Donnarumma over Buffon? I just mean because of his age. Oh, fair. Okay, so never like, mind. Like they become that promising young goalkeeper. Let me uh, mute my microphone again here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not that young to not know who Buffon is, and I think of Donnarumma first. Um, so 47.9% of people agree with us so it's always nice to know we're in the majority whereas 10.1% say yes drop him and 42% of, 42% of people say if he plays bad in the next three games maybe that depends on exactly how bad he plays it doesn't actually define how bad is bad if he catches the ball and just throws it in the net then maybe we'd, we would look at swapping him out I think everyone would agree with that I'd like to change my vote <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so the next one is from at WHU Wayne. Uh, would you ease off uh, Gold, Sullivan, Brady out if they push one stand as close to the pitch as the Bolin and name the stand the Bolin to give some more intensity to the stadium? Option A, yes or no, damage already done. I'll go to Scott first. Uh, Oops, Scott, your mic's off there. Sorry, I thought I'd done it the other way around. Uh, uh, I can see them doing it because that's the exact kind of headline grabbing and, you know, wallpaper over the top of issues thing they, they would see as, you know, moving things forward. But like no, I don't understand why. Why I don't have an like I have an issue with them for lying about the stadium, but my big issue is they just did that. They've just run this club so poorly. I mean, they they demand complete control, and then don't act like it's their fault when it when things have gone wrong. So yeah, they no <laughs> damage done. And Lou. No, I think the only thing right now that they could, you know, possibly do for the fans to ease off them would be a, you know, sell up. I don't think I need to say much more than that. Mm. And Adam? This whole protest has been about getting the seats closer to the pitch, so I think uh, if they do that, then uh, <laughs> then everything's, <laughs> everything's back to normal. No, no, no. The chokehold's on now because uh, there seems to be a little bit of traction, so... Keep the keep the hashtags rolling, I guess. Mm. 
It's that like the idea is something I would definitely like to see, like one of the stands be named after the boat and like probably what is the east stand or the west stand, the stand with the media and the where the board do sit. Like I think if they name that the if the current or the whoever does become the new board, if that does ever happen, uh, was to push that close to the name of the boat, I think that would be a very sort of sensible idea after our conversation last week about um what could a new board do to sort of win you over i definitely think that would be a brilliant thing but i think in terms of people protesting the board i don't think it's gonna win them around anymore and 92.1 percent of people say no the damage is already done which i don't think surprises people i think 7.9 percent of people which is almost like a tenth um it's quite seems quite high like oh i'm i'm <laughs> I would like to talk to one of those people. That would be a genuinely interesting like, logic trip. Probably Tottenham fans. <laughs> yeah. And now sort of a transfer based one from at Tony Pearson two, a favourite. Um uh, according to the Athletic, we're interested in Siad Kolasinic from Arsenal, who is currently out of favour at the Gunners, who is valued at fourteen point four million pounds. Would you take him or not? Adam. I'd take him. I don't think it's on anymore. I think uh, every player that we've been linked with from Arsenal is now rejecting a move. Uh, Rob Holdings, the latest one. Um, but I guess if you're just asking, would you take the player? I would. I think that price is high um, for us. But if you want a bastard to come back on the pitch, I think that uh, there's your Arnautovic replacement at left back. Andy? Yeah, again, that's I'd take him in a hypothetical situation. I'd, you know, look to offload Cresswell, you know, the other way to the Emirates, maybe. If we can get some kind of nice little deal done there. Point four million. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd take him. I'd, I think uh, Arsenal fans don't raise him. I think they think of him in a similar way we think to Cresswell weird enough but I, d- I don't think they understand how bad Cresswell actually is so yeah I'd, I'd take Kolasinac but um, you know uh, there's other left back targets I would have before him and Scott yeah uh, I, I, I think at the moment if you're offering me any Premier League left back that's also got international experience I, I don't know why we wouldn't give them a go uh yeah our options they're just so inconsistent and i'd rather have kalasinach and masawaku as my options than cresswell and masawaku and you know we've we've been talking about strengthening our defense so quite literally picking up the strongest left back potentially in in the world don't if you're going to try and arm wrestle him at any point uh yeah uh, why not give it a go see how many right wingers he can push into the sidelines it'd be great that's the good thing about the London Stadium is they'll have a lot of like room when <laughs> in pitch because if it was the chicken run, he'd be going into crowd and hurting people. Whereas at least at the London Stadium, he's got like that nice carpet to land on. That carpet is nice, yeah, yeah. Parrot <laughs> um, carpet as well, which bleeds. It won't see anything. So it's good. Um, I think I'd agree. Like, yes, anyone's better than the current options at the moment. I think he's got a lot of experience and as bad as he could be for Arsenal. I think we'd accept that, considering what we're used to, basically, if that makes sense. And we're actually in a minority. 48% of people 
would sign him and 51.9% of people would not sign him. So, which I find strange that people would, like if that was your choice, would stick with him. And now the last one, which is a question posted by at a top lad uh, on recent at American Hammer 3. Uh, would you rather play in the, who would you rather play in the team? Josh Cullen or Robert Snodgrass? Adam, I'll come to you first after you just wrote your article about Snoddy. Would you rather play a right midfielder or a central midfield? I mean, I need more context than this. I guess. I think because Snodgrass has played as part of a midfield three, it would be in terms of Snodgrass playing in the middle three in Cullen's spot rather than Cullen playing as a winger. Well, no, I'd rather play Cullen then. I don't know. I I think it, it, you, you're going to. I'll I'll be non, I'll stop being condescending here. I will I would pick Josh Cullen because I think uh, we need to invest more time into players that are homegrown and have a future. Um, everyone's not calling Josh Cullen a youngster at 23 or 24 now. Robert Snodgrass at 33 is certainly not a youngster, so let him come off the bench for some end of the game set pieces when everyone's tired and taking fouls. Uh, Josh Cullen should get the first 70 minutes of the game, or if you're always 86 minutes of the game, uh, and then you can sub Snodgrass in after that. And Scott? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, technically, Snodgrass's best position is still, or he sees himself as a right winger rather than a left winger. So he's having to fight out both uh, Bowen and Yarmolenko if he wants to start in that position. But yeah, Cullen, I think, is exactly the kind of person that we need to be bringing through. And I think, you know, people always go, oh, they haven't quite made it. But we, we, have, we seem to be moving away from the idea that, you know, people could be useful squad players. They don't have to be first-team choices to be a good player and to be useful. Um, Cullen is absolutely great. He adds us depth in that middle. He's West Ham through and through and we can really use him in a rotation system and that's only good for the club I think I heard Cullen saying like people have been saying I'm a bit too old to still be considered this but and but he also said if I was at the championship right now Premier League clubs would be trying to sign me as this sort of up and comer like but I'm, just because I'm already here kind of ruins my like youngster view or so and Lou who would you rather have Snodgrass or Cullen yeah, I've always rated Cullen and I've been advocating him for him to, you know, climb into the first team for a while now. So, um, yeah, based on obviously the two other reasons they just said, um, and I, I really do like Snodgrass. I think most people do. I think obviously he has his advantages that he brings to the team, set pieces being the main one. Um, but we don't really want to put, you know, square pegs in round holes anymore. Mm. I think we need to stay clear of that. And Cullen, at the moment, is, you know, more than proven his worth. And I think he's um, in with a shot of the first team if he carries on these performances. And he brings a certain... Um, I can't think of the word... Just his style of play just suits that position and it's very calm and assured. And I think he's the kind of player we need in the middle of with to move forward. Um, whereas Snodgrass, he, like I say, he's, he's not so much a natural-born centre on the fielder. Um, and he's, he's most useful coming on, like you say. 
uh, from the bench. Yeah, I think I think that's very good points. I really like Sawgrass to be honest. I think he puts all the effort in. You can never fault him. He's got a best step, probably best step dead ball specialist at the club. He clearly works well with Snodgrass, setting his head up, header up the other day against Charlton. So I think Snodgrass is a great player, and he can play on the right wing slowly, and he can play in the centre, which is another sort of uh, string to his bow. But I would agree that I would rather be playing Cullen at the moment because he is doing all the right things and needs to just be sort of trusted and so he can flourish. And as you said, that like he's very calm on the ball. He's saying the right things. I think if he was at the championship last, um, was still at a championship club, Premier League teams would be looking to sign him like a Crystal Palace, a West Ham, a Newcastle, that sort of Sheffield United, that area of the league would definitely be sort of looking to bring him in as a squad player. And the fact we already have him is a bonus. So 100%, I think Cullen should be playing ahead of Snodgrass. But I do think Snodgrass gets, still gets an unfortunate amount of hate. He's played twice in the last month for West Ham, coming on against Bournemouth in the Betway Cup. And he actually did well. He actually created the last goal and was looking dangerous to set pieces. And then he played against Charlton and set up the Haller header so I do think he's still got a place in the squad but in terms of playing Cullen should be given his spot so yeah that's all the Hammers, Hammers polls questions we have at the moment Adam back to you yeah uh, so this segment of the unanimous Hammers uh, Green Street Hammers podcast is completed um, let this be a call to action to all of our listeners out here who don't want to hear four people agree on what is being said uh, send in your more divisive questions for uh, Hammers Polls at Hammers Polls on Twitter. Uh, make it a tough choice on us. Uh, make a tougher choice, I suppose. But uh, nonetheless, good talking points. Uh, we're going to take another quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to preview the Arsenal match. Well, the last segment of the podcast is upon us here where we preview the upcoming match for West Ham. This is going to be cruel for the next month and a few weeks uh, as the top six, top eight, uh, are staring West Ham in the face here. Up first is Arsenal. Uh, Arsenal are coming off of a dominant win uh, with Willian having two assists, I believe, credited to him. They thought it was three initially. Uh, and uh, their new center back, I can't even remember his name, uh, getting the headed goal on the set piece, which should be a red flag for West Ham supporters everywhere. Uh, so there's a lot to be excited about if you're an Arsenal fan. Aubameyang also just re-signed his, uh, a new contract with the club. Uh, to stay there after Barcelona inquiries, apparently. Um, We'll leave uh, Chelsea news to X, and we'll break uh, Arsenal news on this West Ham podcast. But uh, we are basically heading into the toughest stretch of fixtures that we'll have all season long. And as much as it was a must-win against Newcastle, we will, again, be uh, up against it against Arsenal, but need a result. And and I believe uh, Green Street Hammer has posted an article, we posted an article today about how West Ham need to show a fight in this match. Uh, Scott, I want to come to you first here. Um, on a pretty formidable attack that includes Aubameyang, Willian now, Lacazette, uh, all of these really strong players, Martinelli for Arsenal, who do we think is the most concerning uh, based on our player arrangements right now? And, and where do you think West Ham are going to be challenged the most with this uh, Arsenal attack? Uh, I mean, in terms of pure like ability, Aubameyang is 
still top class player um, and him up against Ryan Fredericks is a little bit of a worry um, I mean I would have said left back Willian uh, against Willian um, but I think we Cresswell did actually did alright against Chelsea last year so I will stick with Aubameyang uh, against Fredericks I think if we let him get isolated um, and start feeding balls into Lacazette in the middle we're going to really struggle um, and it's going to be really key that communication between Diop and Fredericks because Aubameyang is going to want to get in between the two of them uh, and get in a goal and if we allow the kind of gap that we saw against Newcastle um, where Aubameyang is just going to have free reign and it's a, it's a genuine worry for me Lou, do you have anyone outside of a Bamiang that's going to be someone who needs to be circled for this attack? Um, I know, obviously, Scott just said a Bamiang facing Cresswell. Um, and if he's deployed at striker or left wing, I guess he would maybe dodge him. But, I mean, there's no there's no judging a front three of a Bamiang, Lacazette, and Willian for who's going to play on which side as Willian's inverted and both Lacazette and a Bamiang play centrally as well as out wide, dictating as need be. Um what do you think out of those three or on the bench there's other options uh, Saka as well who scares you yeah I think it's a very free flowing front three anyway so even if the predominant position is set they can all interchange it at will um, depending on I say depending on who plays at left back for us um, I think either one will have a hard time Masuaka or Cresswell so they can't you know they can't leave too much space for William to, you know, run into or whoever's on that side at any given time. And um, obviously, there's the likes of Pepe who didn't have the greatest year in the his debut uh, year in the Premier League last year. But um, Sorry, I think we've all got flashbacks. Me. Sorry, that was my girlfriend's Amazon Alexa. Anyway, um, yeah, we got flashbacks of Masuaku coming on last season against us when we lost 3-1 at the London Stadium Pepe turned him inside out um, after he replaced Cresswell I can't remember remember why Cresswell got took off but either way um, I think think Masuaku came on for Antonio didn't he was it he went to like a 5 at the back and that uh, Cresswell went like left centre back. Oof. Right, okay. I've tried to blank out on my memory as much yeah, as possible. I think it was. Yeah, either way, Pepe's got that in his locker anyway, not not just against Masaraku, but against anyone. So they've certainly got pace uh, to bring on against tired legs, even if William has an off day, if Young has an off day, they've still got the players to bring on. So for the full 90 minutes, we're going to have to you know, be defensively assured. You know, whoever the face and that at uh, any given time, really. Yeah, and I mean, putting Cresswell at left center back of a back three is basically conceding that he's playing there anyways, and you're just going to put a left back on to also cover him because he doesn't play wide enough. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Pepe gets a run here because he did have that good showing against us. Uh, but also, as as we had said, uh, Willian is troublesome because the last time we saw him it was against Chelsea and he scored that beautiful free kick off the post and in albeit with some hesitation from Fabianski adding to the speculation he should be dropped um, but uh, I, I want to come to you Henry the, to, to see if anyone scares you there but also we can sort of roll this into 
the Arsenal squad depth here because <clears throat> we had actually spoken on uh, match week one about uh, El Nene being in their team, starting the game in their team, and in a partnership beside Granite Xhaka, who I'm sure last year many of us didn't think he would make it through the winter transfer window with all of the tumultuousness of the Arsenal team and him specifically. Uh, they do have Danny Ceballos, who has been secured on loan for another season from Real Madrid, who will probably factor into this game because I do think they'll be preparing for a possession-based game against us where they're going to have Ceballos pulling the strings and being able to do more not on the break uh, against a, a team like West Ham. So uh, who, who again, the same question to you, Henry, who scares you the most? Uh, and, and what do you make of this this uh, potentially leaky, albeit better than ours, midfield from Arsenal? Um, well, I think the same with sort of playing anyone so attacking. you always got to be worried about that. Who's taking on the left back? And I had a big conversation with someone about my pick for left back on Twitter and how I was wrong for choosing Maseraka over Cresswell because Cresswell's done so well against Willian. But I'd like to say I've just remembered uh, Maseraka had a very good game against Willian when he was at Chelsea a few years ago and we won that game 1-0. And I think Maseraka went past about 20 Chelsea players that day. But I think my biggest worry would be actually Lacazette. Uh, since Arsenal signed him, no one scored more goals for Arsenal against us. I think he scored three, almost like he's trying to show why we were so stupid not to pay however extra it was that we should have paid to get him for Bilic. Um But yeah, so my, my worry would definitely be Lacazette. He scored the winning goal in the last game as well, when I think we actually looked quite good for that game to get at least a point. I think Byrne hit the post quite early on, but Lacazette, he always seems to be able to play quite well against us. And I think Aubameyang, obviously he's brilliant and there's no doubting his ability, but I almost feel like we do quite well against the really obvious players that you expect to score the hat-trick. It's almost the guy who's struggling a bit more. He's the one that comes alive against us. Like I remember like when Chelsea first signed Torres and he didn't score in his first 10 games for Chelsea, plays against West Ham, scored. That sort of vibe. So I always feel like... I've, Lacazette is going to be the guy we almost need to keep just as much of an eye on as Aubameyang. I think almost because we focus so much on that like star player, we let a player who's a £40 million striker have all the freedom in the world and can do what he wants to do. So Lacazette would sort of be who I'm a bit more worried about. But of course, they've got plenty of players off the bench that, as, Adam, uh, as Scott and Lou said, if the current front three aren't working, they can change it around to... Saka, Martinelli and Pepe which is an, an actually an incredible front three by itself to be reserved so we're, the defence is going to have a long day really <laughs> yeah fair enough there and, and I think I think like the fluidity as you guys have all mentioned and the options off the bench are going to be the problem for West Ham because Arsenal have a if West Ham happened to take a lead in this game even a multi-goal lead in this game fingers crossed uh Arsenal have the ability to completely change their team's formation, setup, tactics under Arteta, as well as personnel. So a lot can be thrown at them in a little bit of time here. Um, I, I want to go forward to our side of things, being the West Ham side. Uh, who do we think is going to have the biggest impact on the offense in this game? Uh, again, it can be anyone. I mean, realistically, our, our biggest 
our biggest threats on set pieces are our center backs. Um, you know, Mazuak, who having a strong game at, as a fullback, or even Johnson or Fredericks, who created five chances last game, um, would be a, a massive positive as well. Um, I think it's going to be Felipe Anderson for West Ham. I think he starts. I think he does have a uh, a strong game because I think he'll he likes the the big stage. Uh, maybe he's not getting up for a you know full of match uh, on a rainy Wednesday late in the late in the spring, but he may get up for for this match against Arsenal. I think it's Felipe Anderson, but I also think it could be seventy minutes of him not doing anything exceptional, and then one second of him curling in a shot like he did against Crystal Palace and having everyone going crazy for him again. So I would take the trade off to be fair, and maybe even him adjusting his gloves as he's running through the Arsenal team which was uh, something <laughs> I think it made it to his highlight reel film for West Ham on his uh, inaugural season there so uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll come back to Scott here who do you think is going to have the biggest impact going forward for West Ham yeah I mean I said uh, I said Anderson as a my pick to play this one and I think that's kind of where I'm going I, it's either I think it would be one of the two wingers um, because I, I can't guarantee who's going to uh, start up top I think you've got a good shout between either Alain or Antonio um, but the wingers are, are really key because they they allow us to transition uh, to keep us into the, in the game uh, and if if they, if they don't have a good game then we're, we're really stuffed um, but both of them have got the quality to be able to do so, and I know I know they've strengthened in recent years, Arsenal, but they're still very shaky at the back. Um, I mean, uh, they uh, Gabriel almost did step in nicely for David Luiz and set up a, a nice goal for Fulham uh, after like four minutes of their match. So uh, there's still mistakes in there um, that we can expose, and if we're going to do it, I think it's going to come from the wingers. All right, Lou. Who do you have uh, as the impact player? Lou, who do you have as the impact player for uh, for West Ham going forward in this one? Yeah, I was going to say uh, Bowen myself. I think, like we said before, I think he's guaranteed to start. Perhaps on Lake Anderson, who's fifty-fifty either way. And I think, in a way. His game against Newcastle last week was arguably his worst game for us so far. Quietest, at least, if not worst. And I think he now has something to prove. Maybe his place isn't as uh, as it once as it, as it seemed like anyway. And I think he'll be up for this game. I think um, he had a really good game against Arsenal last year where we undeservedly lost 1-0 away if it were not for terrible chances missed by our strikers that day and I think him coming up against Tierney who is not the greatest defensively I think he can cause him problems and yeah like Scott said in transitions he and whoever whatever wingers played on the other side will certainly be key for us and uh, I hope he can get into some goal scoring form in the league because we know he's done it, you know, in pre season just gone. And I think if he can get into that kind of form, then he'll be even more of an asset to us than he already is. Henry, who's your pick for impact hammer of this one? 
Um, I spoke to Payne the Arsenal for my inside track article and they were concerned about the same player as me. Well, I wasn't concerned about him. I was sort of hopeful for him. They were concerned about him and that's Thomas Suchek. I think the type of Arsenal side they are, like no matter what Arsenal do, they're always going to have centre-backs that can be bullied a little bit. Um, obviously, there still needs to be a lot more seen from Gabriel and Salabria, who hasn't even played yet. Um, but I think Suchek's sort of the perfect man to make those late runs into the box and get his head on the ball. Or, as we can see, hit a very good volley um, from crosses that might not be head high. He's just been very unlucky that they haven't quite gone in. He's hit the crossbar or forced a great save with them. So my choice would definitely be Suchek. It seems like the sort of game where he could come alive, like sort of against Chelsea, where he had the ball in the back of the net twice, um, but obviously only one counted. So... Like yeah, Suchet would be my my pick. I think he's gonna he'll cause Arsenal's midfield and defence a lot of issues if we are able to get the right service for him. Fair enough, fair enough. And I do think that we'll see something ex- maybe not exciting, but something different from the team selection in this one. I do think we may see like a four four one one with Antonio and Hilaire, um, which uh, judging by Henry's face, they may not love all that that formation that much, but. Uh, I do think they're going to try and get these dangerous players into the team uh, and you know maybe use that size to bully them a little bit more. Um, but regardless, we will have to wait until Saturday to find out, of course. Um, we will close out this segment and the show with our predictions. Uh, we'll, we'll go reverse snake draft here. Henry, what's the, uh, what's the score prediction you have for West Ham and, uh, and uh, the Arsenal matchup this week? I, I, ha- I have my heart and my brain. Uh... I'll go with my brain first. Three uh, one to Arsenal, uh, whereas my heart says one nil. Thomas Suchet with an eighty fifth minute power header. Love but it. But in terms of what I write, it will be three one to Arsenal. But I'll, for the podcast, I'll go with my heart. Fair enough. Fair enough. Lou, are you fighting between your head and your heart as well? And uh, what's your prediction here? Uh, no, I think I'm going to be realistic, and I don't think we'll be able to contain the Arsenal defence. Arsenal defence. Arsenal attack. Um, in any way, I think it's just too powerful with, as we've mentioned, the starters and the impacts they can bring on. And I'm not saying I think we'll play badly because over the last couple of seasons, I think to the three-one the year before under Pellegrini, I think we deserve to get someone out of that at the Emirates as well. But I think ultimately, goals will win the games and quality will win the games. And I'll ultimately go for, I'll say the same, I'll say 3-1 as well. I think we will grab a goal at some point, uh, but I think they'll either catch us when we're sleeping or, you know, just show too much quality in the end. Fair enough. All right, Scott, uh, what, what's, your, uh, what's your prediction for this one? Well, I was going to say 3-1, um, but I feel like, you know, that's been taken twice. And also, I've got a, uh, a guy I went to school with who writes for The Athletic now, who, who wrote a massive piece once about uh, how 3-1s just don't happen very often. Um, they're basically kind of a fan favorite for predictions, but they don't actually happen that that often statistically uh so i'll go with two nil to arsenal um so yeah uh i i mean i just can't see us having the uh, it's going to take something special from both Moyes and the team to really put it back to us i mean again maybe we're 
taking it too harshly on the fact that you know Arsenal played a very disjointed Fulham side uh, last week and maybe they looked really good from that and maybe we'll come back but uh, yeah I, I can't see it I haven't been given that reason to hope yet fair enough you can only go off what you've seen I guess a logical person can only go off what they've seen uh, and Fulham did actually start uh, pretty brightly in that game and forced an error early so and maybe the chances are there and if they're taking a different game script I felt like you kicked me in the chest when you said 2-0 to Arsenal. So um, I will be the lone optimist here. And I will say 2-2, a scrappy point. Uh, I think two set-piece goals for West Ham and then two goals on the on the counter on the break for Arsenal. See the, uh, the London Derby and two goals apiece, one point each. I would bite your hand off for that now. Am I crazy for saying that? I love that your prediction of us having two set-piece goals and their goals coming from counter-attacks, which oh, yeah. <laughs> dominate the whole game. <laughs> Definitely out of the two teams, when you hear Arsenal and West Ham, you know, it's always West Ham you associate with technical yeah, possession. Yeah. We're pressing <laughs> the counter, but we just can't get that final bit, so we rely on the set-piece for the goals. So, this, is, this is how uh, it works up in my brain. Four corner <laughs> kicks for West Ham. Two, two on the, two of them we score on. Two of them they score on. That's that's how I'm working it out. And oh, again, that, that makes sense. Al. Like Scott said, you can only go off what you've seen as evidence and proof. So that's how I base my uh, that's how I'm basing my predictions here. Uh, but for a lengthy episode here with the Green Street Hammers, uh, this will wrap it up. Uh, hopefully, we're coming back next week. We'll probably do more of the same. We'll have two matches to talk about as far as West Ham are concerned. On the 22nd, we have the match against Hull for the Carabao Cup. And uh, we are generally excited for two results to go our way from now until our next podcast. Uh, We all believe that's going to happen. None of us predicted a a loss for West Ham against Arsenal. Uh, Totally all convinced that it's going to happen. Everything's coming up, West Ham. Uh, And then we wake up or, or turn off the Xbox at that point in time. Either way, we'll have a positive weekend. We'll be supporting the team from away right now uh and hopeful that you know they can turn up and and show up against this arsenal squad uh for scott for lou for henry for myself and everyone at green street hammers thank you for listening come on you irons What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.